Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah. Hi, this is Mike Clary from Calgary, Alberta, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and thank you to Mike there, who featured in our intro. You played it straight as an arrow, did Mike? Lovely stuff. Uh, from Calgary. Uh, Calgary makes me think, David and Matt, of Cool Runnings, the excellent, excellent film. Yeah. What does well, it make you think of? It does bring back memories of a 15-year-old me watching the Winter Olympics. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I kind of find it really cool that we have a listener in Calgary. And I, I know that we have listeners in... Lots and lots of countries all around the world, but and I, I, I never grow tired of hearing about where they're from. So anytime, anytime you want to let us know where you're from, I want to hear it. So you experienced Cool Runnings, the film, firsthand in real life? Yeah, but I only kind of found out about it after seeing the film, in all right. honesty, really. Yeah, I was concentrating on other sports, um, but loved it. Matt, please tell me you're aware of the film Cool Runnings. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> okay, that was. I was really anxious about asking that question. I'm glad we've got that out of the way. <laughs> How are we all doing, folks? All right. Yeah. I, I, I tell you what. I'm loving tennis at the moment. I, I have to say because there's a lot of it on, and there's Dubai starting on a uh, women's tournament starting on a Saturday and and the, the Doha tournament finished on a Saturday and the men's you know slightly overlapping and then there are tournaments in Europe and they're all good tournaments all of these are good tournaments and then there's the South American clay court ones as well I, d- I think this is what I've missed from tennis now it'll get even better when crowds are back m- more crowds but just this feeling that tennis is alive and happening all over the place it just really cheers me up. It's alive. Mm. <laughs> it's it's the absolute opposite of a swing, what's happening at the moment, isn't it? I mean, it's very bitty and all over the place. I mean, as you say, David, it's it's kind of great that there's so much hap- so much tennis happening in all, all different places. Um, but, yeah, a swing it is not. We've got tennis happening in South America, in uh, Monterey, in the Middle East, in Europe. It's It's disparate. At the moment, it's very, very much not. What's the opposite of a swing? Whatever this Uh, is. It's a hospital pass. (laughs) Sorry, Matt. (laughs) And yet all the matches seem to happen at the same time. Have you noticed that? I have. I have. They're all taking place in different parts of the world. And yet they're still all happening at the same time. Is that time dinner time? (laughs) (laughs) Normally, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of, there've been a lot of, Good match, a little bit like the Premier League this season. There've been a lot of good matches, but they're not quite the matches you're expecting to be good. I uh, I I tuned into the um, Doha Women's Final, Kvitova Muguruza, having thought oh, I've missed the early stages, but it's fine. I'll be joining it just at the just at the crucial midpoint, and I can see it right through to its conclusion. And uh, Petra Kvitova was lifting a trophy aloft by the time that I tuned in. She was not in a mood to hang around. Um, so yeah, it's um, you don't quite know where to look, which is making me feel a little bit anxious, but it's making David feel pumped. So, yeah, normal. I think I feel differently about this time of the season this year, though. As as David said, it's it's nice to just have a feel that there's constant tennis. Normally, this time of the year, I really resent the fact that there is no narrative to this portion of the season, and that there are sort of random events 
here, there and everywhere in February. But I think that point of view is just less relevant at the moment. It's just, I think everyone's just more grateful just to have tennis where we can. And I don't don't know whether it's because the various countries that players are from have um, quarantine um, rules in place, meaning if they were to return home for periods, they would have to have to quarantine. Um, But it feels like players are playing a lot, doesn't it? I keep, you know, seeing players going deep one week and thinking, you know, they'll surely take a week off and boom, there they are in, in the draw for the next week in a in a completely different location you know it does feel like players are just going right head down tennis now no sort of week on go back home I mean it must be tough in some regards but it it's going to be quite interesting sort of play you know momentum players will come on to talk about Andre Rublev um, because he's you know when's he going to stop when is Andre Rublev not going to pop up in a draw he does tennis that's his thing um, I think you're right. I think it, people just either they commit to a block, like almost like a training block. Okay, this is my tournament block. I think we're going to see uh, Ash Barty do it later in the year when she just decamps out of out of Australia and sets up her place and just goes for tournaments. Um, and I, I think also players have missed it. There are players that have missed the competition, the life, um, and the earning opportunities. Now, obviously, those are diminished quite a lot prize money wise for all the reasons we know that the tournaments that are struggling but yeah there are just it's it's a busy portion whereas normally at this time of year we're sort of into week two of three weeks worth of Indian Wells we've you know you, you've already had the week worth where everybody's posting annoying pictures of this just paradise and football games and stuff and then they start the tournament eventually when they can get around to it uh, and then it gets interesting in the third week uh, in terms of match play but of course that all of that's not happening at the moment I'm, I'm looking at Catherine because she was doing that a couple of years back um, yeah Google Photos keeps sending me uh, two years ago today alerts which I if anyone from Google's listening just don't want to see <laughs> yeah why has no one invented an algorithm that doesn't bring up photos that make you sad yeah that's what (laughs) they want though isn't it they want to prod you and yet we despite all of this sort of tornado going on around us of tournament matches and events going on and trophy lifts here there and everywhere all the eyes seemed to focus on the fact that at an appointed time on sunday roger federer was giving his first press conference and and like that seemed to be the thing really that everybody was going to watch yeah it was it was a it was a well attended press conference, wasn't it, Matt? I uh, it was on Zoom, so I had it on had it on gallery view, so I could try and get a full full impression of uh, of the the volume of attendees. Uh, but gallery view could could not accommodate the uh, the full set of attendees. You still had to do some some scrolling. Everybody was there apart from David Law, who was tied up with uh, tied up with West Bromwich Albion. But you're right. Despite all of the tennis, uh, which we will talk about, Roger Federer's return is the biggest story, isn't it? And I, I guess it's been so anticipated for so long. I, I hadn't been thinking about it that much. It had, you know, it had it had been on the horizon. It was a thing that was going to happen. It was something to look forward to, but. That that was as much thought as I'd given it. And then suddenly at the end of last week, it was when he posted that slightly giddy video. Giddy even behind a mask. You know, giddy, slightly silly Federer. Childlike Federer. Um, he was at uh, Dubai Airport, I think, flying to Doha. Um, and he was just excited about coming back. And I just got I just got really emotional about it because I know it's... Largely coincidence that his period away from the sport has coincided with the pandemic (laughs) and his knee injury and rehab has coincided with the pandemic. But it just feels like a a marker of things changing and a marker of hope. Federer is coming back now, so it's all going to be fine. You know, I tweeted that it it reminded me of when when Gandalf appears in in the two towers. to, to save the day, you know, look to the east. And it, it suddenly felt like that to me and I just got unexpectedly swept away with emotion about it. 
despite the fact that, as I've said, it's all just coincidence. <laughs> yeah, but it, it is. It, I mean, look, the things are certainly in the UK anyway. I hope, I hope where you are in the world listening, things are starting to look a little rosier as well. But it feels like I mean, my kids went back to school today, and and that was a big deal after two and a half, three months of of homeschooling. Um, but yeah, it. I, I and I did wonder, and I, I felt this this way a week ago with the Andy Murray press conference that you've now got two players there and we've got other players like Serena Williams just just refusing to go away, refusing to just give in and retire. And there'd be nothing wrong with that if they decided now is the time. But I, I feel quite inspired watching them in their own way just say no. No, I'm not going to go away like this in the middle of a pandemic without crowds, without something to remember me by specifically. You're going to have my best and let's see what that looks like. And it was such a different feel to the press conference, to all the ones we've been to over the last few months, where there's been a, a weariness to players. Players have been certainly grateful that tennis is on, but they've been talking about how difficult the bubble life has been and how it isn't the same. Federer sort of mentioned that that could be a factor for him, but generally there was a giddiness and an excitement that he was back. And I find that really interesting in terms of if he's fresh coming back to a tour where the players are perhaps getting a bit tired, a bit weary. It's almost like he's the F1 car with new tyres and he's at the back of the field, but he's got the fresh tyres and all the people ahead of him are on the really old tyres. And he's, is he just going to start overtaking everyone? He's, he's starting so far back, but he could have this freshness to him that could, I don't know, kind of propel him along. Yeah, it was, it was just it was a very different atmosphere to his press conference to a lot of the ones we've experienced recently. It was it was more hopeful and uplifting. Yeah, at one point he even said he was excited uh, to experience playing without crowds. Can you imagine the rest of the players if they'd been watching that going, yeah, all right, mate, give it a week. <laughs> if that. <laughs> yes, yes. He compared the 2000 fans that there's going to be in, in Doha to like a little bar. Yeah. and and having having a live music scene and he was like you can still get a great atmosphere even in a little bar he's he's right though he's right we're, we're going to hear a portion of his his press conference he's he, he he really summed up how he said the most important thing is just not to have zero if possible the difference between zero fans and 50 fans is is bigger than the difference between 50 fans and 50,000 fans and I think he's right about that. And the important thing is not to have that echoey silence. And to have the, the sound at the right time. Because, I mean, I, I, I have what, to say... What are you trying to say about the uh, the mixer guy no. slash well, girl at the Australian Open, David? Well, watching West Bromwich Albion the other day, there was this moment where this chance happened. And, you know, you just... You know when how it should sound. And it didn't sound like that at all. <laughs> um, I... I, I, I Probably trying uh, even, to inject some in excitement into well, I, that game, David. Fa fair doing point. us all a favour. But the 50 fans, if you had them, would just react as a crowd would react, even in a very small number, and that's what you want. It, it, uh, and look, I, I, I'm not saying I could do fake crowd noise any better. I couldn't. Um, but and, and, and I still regard it mostly as a comfort if it's done well. Um, but yeah, I... The, I, I do quite enjoy this the awkwardness of the silence after a, after either an awful shot or a winner. The, there's a, there's a wonderful uh, the office type weirdness to it. Um, but yeah, bring them back still. Yeah, that's yeah. The pleasure of that weirdness is not enough for us all to to ride it out through through. Well, I mean, we have done for a year of pandemic, but. Um... Yeah, bring bring back the bar type atmosphere, please. Um, which is what Roger Federer is going to be playing in front of this week in Doha. Um, no doubt the tickets that are available for his matches will be sold out if they aren't already. Um, let's hear from him, shall we? He was asked, as I'm sure you can imagine, a lot of really interesting probing questions um, in yesterday's press conference. And he, you know, as he always does, he he took them all on, gave some great lines, you know, didn't didn't look annoyed to be there or anything. He was he was loving all of it. As we say, he was like a 
giddy schoolboy. Um, and we're going to play you a bit of it now. First question from the BBC's tennis correspondent, Russell Fuller. So, Roger, would you say that your uh, principal motivation in returning to the tour was because you were desperate to go out on your own terms? Was a part of it also putting yourself through all that arduous rehabilitation, um, the belief and the desire to continue to be able to win major titles? Yeah, I don't know. I I, I just feel like it, it, the, the, the story is not over yet. You know, I, I don't know how to explain. It's not like for one particular reason why I wanted to keep on playing tennis other than I enjoy playing tennis. I enjoy being on the road. Uh, that all will be checked and tested now uh, this year with bubble life, uh, quarantines all around, uh, the whole mask situations, the travels is difficult, um, the the yeah, the, the rehabbing and all the stuff is not complete yet, you know, so I'm still work in progress. But probably w- one of the r- other reasons is to come back that I would like to get that high again of playing against the best players, playing the biggest tournaments, winning them, hopefully, and being in the in the in the conversation, you know, and uh Hopefully, I'll play long enough to see full crowds again. That would be a nice thing as well. Um, we all hope for that. But um, for me, it was just more like the knee is not good anymore. I'm not happy with it and it needs to be fixed. And that's it. It's fairly simple, actually, at the end of the day. Um, because we haven't seen you since the Australian Open in 2020, can I just clarify, was there, any, was there a moment or any situation with you and your family you're in a circle where perhaps you did think about retirement, where you had a conversation about the future and thought, and the rehab perhaps wasn't going well. Did you ever get to that point or was your mentality always that I will return to the tennis court? I mean, I think it's normal that through the period of one year, you will always have some conversations with your team and your family about where do we go from here? You know, uh, not imminent, you know, um, when I took the decision to take the first operation, I don't remember the date now, but early in the year after uh, the match for Africa from Cape Town, um, the goal was to be ready for Wimbledon, right? So that, that's why I then all of a sudden said, okay, let's do it very quickly here so I have the time to get ready. I didn't expect uh, complications to come about and they came about just like that. Honestly, the knee was just swelling up. It was not doing well. I would go for walks with the kids or go for a bike ride, come back, have a swollen knee. And I wouldn't understand what was happening because in training was actually going very well the first four or five weeks and progress was, uh, was, was quick. So, uh, I think after the second one, I mean, obviously I was down. I couldn't believe I had to do a second one. And, uh, this is then definitely a moment where you maybe question everything a little bit more because now you know, well, Wimbledon's not happening. Then Wimbledon anyway was cancelled. And then the pandemic at this point will hit bad and you don't know what that means and how long that's going to be around. Um, but what I knew is regardless if I do come back or not and the urge was there to come back and I wanted to uh, you know, go out on my terms and not uh, finish on the Australian Open and the match for Africa... Um, for my life, I wanted to do this rehab anyhow. So regardless of any tournament, I want to be healthy. I want to go skiing with my children and my friends and uh, go play basketball and football and do all these things. And I feel like if I can do all these things, uh, and I want to do all these things down the road, I also maybe can play professional sports, you know. And um, I feel like there's still something left. And I, for me, it was always clear that I was going to try to do that. So... Retirement was never really um, on the cards. Uh, I think it's really uh, a conversation more if the knee, let's say, keeps bothering me for months and months to come, then then we have to look at it. That's normal because when you realize that you can't play at the top level anymore and the knee doesn't allow you to do that, um, then you have to have that conversation. But this is not the time to think about that. That's let's just say, in the fall of this year, you know, uh, because then I would have played enough matches and enough tournaments to really analyze that. But for now, I'm just really happy that I've made the long and hard road with my physios, with my doctors, with my coaches, fitness trainers, because um, in a way, I've enjoyed it. You know, I don't mind doing rehab. Uh, For them, they're impressed by me, how I go about it, the work ethic. But for me, it's only but normal because uh, I want to be a healthy person. And uh, um it's been, a, it's been a good phase, you know. I, I actually it was a challenge, you know. I, I, I like challenges, so it was, uh, it, it's all good, you know, and now we're looking forward to what's to come. Um, hi, Roger. Uh, there's obviously a lot of interest, you know, about this kind of 
intergalactic battle between yourself and Rafa and Novak about the Grand Slams and, and whatever. And that, that's moved on a bit, obviously, since we last saw you play. I'm just wondering, what, what is your kind of attitude towards that whole race? I mean, is it still something that motivates you or are you kind of philosophical about it now? Or is it something you're hugely bothered about or, or what? No, I mean, not not really. I think it's a, it's a great debate, you know, uh, to have. And it's an interesting one. And I think uh, what Ro- Novak and Rafa have done uh, as of late, again, is extraordinary. I mean, they're not 25 either, you know, themselves. So they're able to back it up. Uh, Novak again did it in Australia. Um, Rafa again did it at the French. Um, and they being at... Uh, at their still they seem at their at their peak which is great for tennis you know and it's great for the debate um my concern is more uh you know my own game my own health over the record to be honest you know i think for them maybe this is bigger than for me at this very moment because for me it was a very important late as a, the closer i was getting to pete's record you know, is to to equal Pete's record and to potentially break it, you know. But then once you have it, um, you try to do your best, and that's what I try to do. Uh, but for them, I'm maybe the measuring stick, like Pete was for me. So I'm in a different situation, but sure, you, you like to keep every record, but all the records are there to be broken. And uh, the guys are unreal. We all know that. And uh, I hope they, they keep on going. I hope they they can do everything they possibly want and that they look back with no regrets. And I, and I think at the end of the day, the three of us, we all think alike in this regard. You know, you want to leave the game with no regrets. And I think uh, uh, from that standpoint, I think we all see very well at night. Hi, Roger. I just wondered, have you thought about how you want to build your season, what you want to achieve this season? And if so, what are the kind of landmarks in the season that, that are most important to you? Are you looking at the grass and the Olympics? Hey, Simon. Um, Yes, I mean, like, obviously at this uh, moment, you know, I feel like it's just about let's see how matches go. Um, Let's see how trainings go with all the top guys, you know, and and professional players, not just sparring partners. I was playing a lot of two-on-ones, you know, the last few months and so forth. So, and I I know I need to go back to training um, after here again. So, uh, from this standpoint, um, it's still um, building up to being stronger, better, fitter, faster and all that stuff. So I hope then by Wimbledon, I'm going to be 100%. And uh, from then on, then the season really starts for me. Everything un- until then, it's just uh, let's see how it goes. I might surprise myself, which I actually have already done in practice the last three weeks. I was surprised how well it actually did go. But the, uh, like we know, matches are a different animal. So... Right now, it's like I just take it day by day. Happy I'm back on the tour again um, and see how things go. But uh, of course, like for me, the sort of the everything starts uh, hopefully with the grass. Yeah. So he surprised himself and he's impressed his team. Well, good <laughs> on him. All, it's all <laughs> just brilliantly Federer-esque kind of. Yeah, I'm great. <laughs> um. Yeah, there was a lot of stuff in there, wasn't there? Incidentally, um, uh, on that question, which was from Mike Dixon about the intergalactic battle uh, for the most uh, men's Grand Slam singles titles. Um, Novak Djokovic has just tweeted, big day today, which is in recognition of the fact that he has just started his record-breaking 311th week as the men's world number one. Um which is which is massive, and I I love that he has tweeted that in recognition of how massive it is for him. You know, Federer there saying, "I think it means more to the other two than it does to me," um, <laughs> which may which which may well be true. I I can't you know I can't I can't doubt the man's words. I'm not inside his head, but I like that Djokovic is totally owning that. That's massive. And it's massive to him personally, personally, and it's massive to to tennis because it it yeah. really is something. Yeah, to to do it, I, I think I sometimes overlook this, but to 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 get that number to break the record for world number one weeks when your opposition is Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal, and it's the same applies to those two as well. In contrast, you know what they've done as a trio in that regard is 
the most astonishing thing of the lot. And for him to be the one at the moment that has got that number, and that's why I think eventually when we settle back and look at who got the most slam singles titles as well, phew, it's um, it's amazing, really. And and I, I agree with you. I like the fact that Djokovic isn't saying, oh, that doesn't really matter, you know, it's uh, we just want to be part of the same era. No, today's a massive day, and I'm the man, all right? Yeah, absolutely. It, it's it's a remarkable achievement. He became number one, didn't he, when he won Wimbledon in 2011. And that was his moment of muscling in, breaking up that duo of Federer and Nadal. So he had to do that to get to number one. And he's had to fend them off for 10 years to stay at number one for now 311 weeks. And this is, I think, his fifth stint as number one. So he's had some ups and downs in that period as well, but he's ultimately been the best player of the last decade. And had the rankings not frozen last year, he would have got there sooner. He's got a healthy lead at the top, and I think he's just going to extend the lead he's got. And we could be looking, by the time it's all done, he could be pushing towards 400 weeks at world number one. I think it's quite likely. It's 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 staggering how consistently he's been the best player for over the last decade. Sixty percent of the time, he's been number one in and, this. And era. at least it's at least it's certain for him that he'll get to enjoy that for a while. Because I don't think Nadal or Federer are, are going to. Obviously, they're his closest rivals. They're not going to. They're not going to overtake that. So it's going to have to be somebody new, <laughs> and. It's going to take them a minimum of 311 weeks to get there. Yeah, so he's got definition. that time. <laughs> yeah, he's got that time to enjoy this record. Um, whereas it feels like with all the other records that the big three has has accumulated over the past 15, 20 years, they've only had you know a few weeks or months before one of the others comes along and equals it or overtakes it. So this is his and he gets to, to savour it for a while. Roger Federer... It was kind of a real mixture of, yeah, it's not about winning titles, but I, I think I can. It's, 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 not about, it's not about Wimbledon, but my season starts on the grass. It was a real, I don't know, tussle between head and heart, maybe. Mm. I don't know. And, and maybe what, what happened in 27, you know, the kind of logic of, but I haven't played for a year and I'm 39. Classic but I'm also Federer, Roger Federer. It? it was. There was this it, line where he goes... Well, I know I can play tennis. That's never been a problem. That's like yeah. riding a bike. <laughs> yeah, Ev- and- everything about it was classic Federer, sort of underselling things and then at the same time hyping it to the extremes yeah. because of, of who he is and what he's done in the past and how easily it all comes to him. And yet doing it with that twinkle in his eye that makes everybody kind of think, oh, Roger. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. He's great, isn't it? You know, every, and and he's name checking most of the journalists asking questions, and uh, you know, it's um, it, it is all. It's I mean, look, it's it's like an old coat putting on Roger Federer into a press conference. He's just um, everybody's been doing that for twenty years, and and he's he's so comfortable with it. He never he never worries about it, and he seems to enjoy it. That I think it ends up becoming a relatively enjoyable experience for everybody in the room um but yeah i i i don't i don't know what to expect nobody knows what to expect and that and the the story of those two knee surgeries and the second one in particular and how discombobulating that was for him to think everything's going fine and then in everyday life, his knee to start swelling up and realise that he's got to have another knee operation. And and I think that that I think that rocked him a bit. I think that rocked his confidence in his own because you know those legs are his foundation and the back it's his foundation. And if that's not right, he can't play. And yet, and he thought that was okay. And he thinks if everything's okay, I can compete still, even though I'm nearly forty. Well, one day that foundation could just go. And he's trying very hard to make sure he doesn't lose his sort of lifestyle after tennis at the same time. Now he's trying to play professional sport. We've just got to, I mean, from a sort of neutral perspective, but also if whoever's watching, you just got to hope that it can cope with what it's about to be put through. 
Yeah, he basically said, well, look, my main motivation is I want to be able to go on skiing holidays with my family. And if I can play a top level professional sport, bonus. And win Wimbledon. Yeah, if I can win Wimbledon. And kind of picking through, trying desperately to find like the really, the real headlines in amongst what he said. You know, as much as he was saying, I've got no expectations of, of winning things and this isn't about edging to 21 and putting daylight between me and Nadal, even though come French Open time, that probably wouldn't give him daylight. But whatever. He did say, my season starts on the grass. And he also referenced in in that clip that we played that his re-evaluation of where he's at, of what's possible, of the comeback, will come in the autumn. You know, he said, he said, provided I'm fit and healthy, I'm not going to panic about losing matches and that you know there's nothing will be considered a failure pretty much until the autumn when I'll when I'll evaluate it all which kind of confirms what what we all thought that it is all about this summer for Roger Federer it's the Olympics and it's Wimbledon and you could throw um the US Open in there um I personally think the US Open is highly unlikely for him I think it's the Olympics and and Wimbledon, big time. And I think think as much as he's trying not to see it as starkly as that, I think that's there in his mind. Everyone's just nodding. No one's got anything. No, to I add. agree. I agree with you. I agree <laughs> with you. I I, I I think. Look, I mean, he can decide himself when he's had enough. But I would. I th- I I think there's a a sense to play this year, and then probably call it a day. Um, but. Um, that's I mean that's up to him. He can do what he likes, but but I could s- sort of understand him thinking, right? Let's j- get myself fit and go for it, you know, for a summer. And he could kind of make all of his remaining ambitions happen. Um, and it's going to be so much fun to find out. I just hope that he his body can cope with what he's about to take on. I mean, I think he's planned it as carefully and as cleverly and you know with a guy like Pierre Paganini behind him who just knows from experience how best to do these things I think he's they're giving himself the best possible chance um and I just hope hope for the best for him on that score I mean regardless of results just that he gets to give this a proper ride well Pierre Paganini's been been impressed with him David he did say that they've been very impressed with me and Pierre's oh. like I mean you know you're reading into that a bit much. I didn't say that. <laughs> is he? Is that the kind of bloke he is? Uh, I like Pierre Paganini. I mean, I've interviewed him. He's very uh, understated and straightforward. Um, l- loves Roger Federer like a son, I would say. And uh, the, the, they are like family. Um, but yeah, F- Federer makes me laugh with those <laughs> those lines. He's uh, he's the second seed in Doha. Uh, he's got a buy in round number one. No one wants that. P.S. What what on earth is the point of that? Change your rules. Federer doesn't want that. The people don't want that. The tournament don't want that. Just change the rules. Somehow. Nice sense of anticipation going in for a few uh, days. Though. He will play in the second round the winner of Dan Evans and Jeremy Shardy, um, which is fascinating because he's spent a lot of time hitting with Dan Evans in Dubai. He calls him Danny Evans. Don't you remember? <laughs> <laughs> That's First so... person, the only person who calls him that. Yeah. <laughs> and you can't say, no, mate, that is not my name. I prefer to go by, you go, yep, okay, I will be whatever you want me to be, Roger. <laughs> or maybe Dan Evans doesn't. I don't know. Find out, find out, David, what Dan Evans really thinks about being called Danny by okay. Roger Federer. Um, so, yeah, that match will be Tuesday or Wednesday um, and will be very interesting indeed. We're not going to do predictions because we haven't, we haven't got a blooming clue. I, I think it'll be Wednesday, won't it? Because Danny Evans and Shardy are not on the schedule today, so they must ah. be playing on Tuesday. Um, right, Wednesday then. And, and I think David had, had some intel there. Already? Well, I, ju- I just said I, I read some quotes from uh, from Federer saying that he had played about 20 sets in practice with Evans, but didn't reveal how any of them had gone, and I haven't got around right. to asking. Okay. So. Well, you know what you've got to do, David. <laughs> yeah. Sets and Danny. 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel, and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live, and you can watch on your phone or your smart TV, both in HD. Matt, this sounds like your kind of thing. Yeah, there's nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere, dipping in to where there's the latest final set tiebreak or even the latest bit of aggro. And David, don't worry, you can just watch your favourite court, Suzanne Longlen, all day if you want. But whatever you choose, the French Open promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Do you know, I think in a lot of ways, the French Open is now my favourite slam. The strategy of the clay court tennis, the way it challenges players, and particularly now with legends of the game up against a new generation of young players. I cannot wait. Be there when it happens with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Subscribe to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. In terms of non-Federer-related tennis news, there is some. Uh, just following up on rankings news on the men's side, obviously the, the big one being Djokovic, Daniil Medvedev will become world number two on March the 15th next week. Uh, and that's the first world number two from outside the big four since July 2005. So although kind of someone becoming world number two doesn't feel like that big a deal, these are... It's not the big time changing of the guard moment that people have tried to announce, us included, at various points over the past few years. But it's just subtle shifting sands, isn't it? I think. And this is just another just slight shift of the landscape. Mm. Mm. No one's got anything to say about that either. So we'll move on. (laughs) David, are you just uh, holding your tongue until we get to talk about Clara Towson? (laughs) Because <laughs> I can move that up the agenda if you'd like. No, I'm not. I I, I watched um, I watched Rublev play three matches last week. I think. All right, um, we're doing Rublev. Okay. Through uh, you with Clara Towson question. We talk Rublev. No, I just I just wanted to touch on Rublev because I I saw him. Um, we talked about his win over Murray the other day and how he stood up to him. But then I saw him do the same thing in the final against Fuchovic. And the same thing against Tsitsipas in the semis. And I feel like this is a real step for Rublev. I know I know it's you could say, oh, it's just another five hundred that he's won. I mean, he's won four in a row, which is amazing. You know, I don't I don't I think there's only a couple of players that have ever done that before, and those are two two of the big three. Um and and he hasn't yet broken through and won the the one thousands and the the slams yet the way that that some some you know that we're waiting for but given that he looks like the little brother of those three I've just mentioned I mean he looks such a small child compared to those three and yet he stands up to them and he's beaten them all in straight sets and he's done it in a real come on then let's have it you know he doesn't take a backward step I mean Fuchovic looks like he's works in a forest chopping trees down for a living you know he's a massive guy and Rublev's just standing up to him and taking him on and and I love it really um he's still got some some issues I think to get to make his point at the on the biggest stages but he is a he is getting better all the time 
That's his 20th straight match win at ATP 500 level uh, for Rublev. Roger Federer holds the record for most successive wins at 28. Murray is second with 21. Uh, Rublev is already ahead of Nadal on 19 and Djokovic on 17. Um, there is still this enormous gulf. He's he's never been past the last eight in uh, in a, a, a Masters series, and he's never been past the the last past quarterfinal stage in a in a Grand Slam. Um, but he does just tick off milestones and incrementally improve. It, it that surely is only a matter of time. I certainly think the Masters series is a matter of time. I, I actually think he's not played that many because so many of them were cancelled last year since he became this force at the 500 level. The slams is a different issue. I think he's got over five sets. I was impressed by the amount he came to the net this week. He he seemed to really be trying to make a point of finishing some points at the net, and that seems like a little little element that he had added to his game this week, I thought. You know, he's not hitting volleys off his toes or anything, but he's working his way forward and finishing at the net, which was quite impressive, I thought. And I think only only Djokovic and Medvedev have earned more points than Rublev on the men's side since the since the tours restarted. He is you know, he's got more points than Nadal and team who've won slams in that period. It's just the the volume of the winning he's doing is incredible really. He's just trying to ingrain winning into his muscle memory, mm. isn't he? He's like this Iron Man in the body of a straw man. And yet or he is sort of Mr. Tickle. I've noticed he is doing that thing where he's slightly hitching his sleeves up as if to say, Have you noticed I'm actually working out there? Because <laughs> um, <laughs> he looks like he is. I mean, in, in his own sort of. He's a, he's a, it's a young man's physique and, a, and he's not a beefcake. But he's clearly putting in some work. Um, and That's going to be in the Express Online, David. David slams Andre <laughs> Rublev as not beefcake. <laughs> um, but I mean, I, I I noticed the same thing as Matt though about the volleying. Just the intent is there. He God, mm. he's so he is so dedicated, Rublev. He wants to be the best, doesn't he? The be- the best of himself. I think he's got a great attitude. So what is the best of himself? We always say about him, he beats the people he's supposed to beat. At the moment, he has a ceiling, but you you know he's going to show up. He's a banker. So it's just for him about pushing that ceiling. How high can he push it? David Ferrer has gone into Rublev's body. He's he's sort of become that guy. I mean, he's a very different style to Ferrer, but Ferrer was mm. that guy for years. And, hadn't, that hadn't, ooh, yeah. and, and he never reached... The absolute ceiling. He reached his ceiling, but he didn't reach the game ceiling. But I think Rublev, I think Rublev might win a slam in his career. Which one's most likely, Matt? Do you think? Because because I have a slight issue with. I mean, there's two things. One is the 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 game elevates at the slams. These mm. players that he's beating last week, they actually get better, don't they, at the major tournaments? Uh, and the other thing is that court just seemed to suit him down to the ground last week, didn't it? A slow, uh, hard court yeah. that he could just hit through and the others couldn't express themselves in their... Like Sitsipas, he was just pinned back the whole time. So what, what do you think he will do best on? Mm, and indoors... Rublev seems to be one of the best players. He's won Vienna, St. Petersburg, Rotterdam now indoors. And obviously there isn't an indoor slam. I think you'd have to look at one of the hardcore ones. I mean, the US Open feels like the one in more recent years, which has been a bit more open, some fatigue at the end of the season. If Rublev is is physically strong and can kind of keep going like like he can at the moment... He could take advantage of a draw there, perhaps. He was the man who beat Dimitrov when Dimitrov had been on that great run, wasn't he? Do you remember mm. when Dimitrov had that yeah. Australian Open semi-final and everything's building up mm. and then they get to the US Open and things are opening up and he was just making mincemeat of his serve by slashing forehand winners past him repeatedly on the return. Um, and was was he also the guy that beat Kyrgios a couple yeah. of years ago. Straight there. sets. Mm. Yeah, and and that was the the year that Catherine and I watched that match, I think, in the bar, didn't we, Catherine? Is that right? Yeah. I wasn't there, but I know that you did. 
Yeah. Oh gosh, yes, we did. Because oh, we were, yes. and it was the one where. And then, and then, he, things... and then we saw Kyrgios come back into the hotel afterwards. Yeah, it was the one where we thought Kyrgios had. It was all opening up for him, and he'd now got a chance to just lay it on. And instead, he got beaten in straight sets, and he played it straight, didn't he? He didn't throw in any tricks or any, you know. But he was just, he was just knocked into next week by this guy who's just relentless from the baseline. Mm. He, um, he, of course, uh, Rublev is playing Doha. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's, he's got a, he's got a buy in the first round, so he'll get, you know, a couple of days off. Uh, he'll face the winner of Richard Gasquet and Blas Roller, who I think played today, Monday. So, yeah, he's, he's third seed in Doha. Uh, Daniil Medvedev, he lost quite early in um, Rotterdam. He is headed to Marseille, the top seed there, as has Stefanos Tsitsipas, who was a victim of Rublev's. He is the second seed in Marseille. So a, a decent draw. A very decent draw in Marseille. Um, it also features wildcard Petros Sitapas. Um, people have taken note of his doubles results and thought, we want more of this guy. Um, so, yeah, he faces uh, Alejandro Davidovich Fakina in the first round in Marseille. Um, we have also had on the men's side more. Serundolo news. Now, we did mention among our many, many um, excellent Matt-crafted bullet points about Serundolo last week, the fact that he has a brother. And I sort of thought, yeah, well, we've heard that before. You know, we've heard <laughs> we've heard about how Novak Djokovic has got two brothers and they're both supposed to be better than him. You know, it's just a thing. It's a thing that you hear. Um, I wasn't expecting sort of the following week. In fact, full disclosure, it took me until yesterday to realise that this was a different Sarundolo that was having having a run in South America. Um Same here. Yeah, okay, great. Thank you. What what what's happening, Matt? This is an amazing story and and I hadn't I hadn't heard of either of them until last week. Well no, nor would I. <laughs> Uh, this is the older brother. This is Francisco Serundolo, who is, I think, three years older than Juan Manuel, uh, who reached the final in Cordoba. Um, this Serundolo, I think he won five three-set matches, including some in qualifying to get through to the final where he just ran out of gas against Diego Schwartzman. Um, big big moment for him, actually, winning a title on in his home country for the first time. He's had some near misses in the past, I think he lost in the couple of finals in Buenos Aires and Cordoba before. And he was absolutely ecstatic with that. I think it really meant a lot to him to have all of his family there because, you know, normally they can't really travel with him around the world in the way that maybe people who are based in Europe, they can bring their family a bit more easily. And yet they were all there. They were all celebrating that win with him. There was a small crowd. He was delighted. Um, but yeah. Even he said this was kind of also Sarundolo's week. You know, I think they would have been the Which first. <laughs> I think they would have been the first siblings to win back-to-back titles in ATP history, and uh, just just missed out by one match. So yeah, we have we have two new names. Well, one new name, two new people to follow. <laughs> <laughs> right then, uh, that wraps up the men's tennis news for the week. Uh, we're approaching Clara Towson time. David, just Splendid. hold your horses for a moment because we should first talk about Petra Kvitova, who's just made herself look like the best tennis player in the world for a week, which is what she sometimes does, yeah. isn't it? I mean, she's just swiped aside the field. Yeah, fair play to Daryl. Uh, who's taking us on in newsletter predictions for getting that absolutely spot on and taking some horrendous lead over us all. Um, but no, it's um, it's what Petra Kvitova can do, has done for years. She will just have a week where you're looking at other players and thinking, oh, wow, you know, Gabinia Magarutha's just ploughing away relentlessly through this field, and she just goes and duffs her up 6-2-6-1. You're thinking... That's not what you do to Carpinia Magarutha in a final. And she's just like, well, <laughs> I do. 
um, sometimes, and and she's an awesome player. When she's on, she's absolutely awesome. And it's the problem is you can't really rely on her being able to produce that week in week out. And she doesn't. It doesn't seem to me that she puts pressure on herself to have to do that. And I, she will get to the next tournament. Well, I can't remember whether she's playing Dubai, but when she, you know, that and Miami and all that, she'll get to them. And if it doesn't happen there, she won't be, I don't think, holding some enormous inquest into why she was great one week and not great the next week. I don't think her approach and her mind necessarily works like that. She's she's going to get great results and then she's going to have some stinkers. But when she's on, there's not really much anybody can do about it. Which is exactly the same as how something we've discussed about her in the micro sense as well. This brilliant ability she has to just shrug off her mistakes. Mm. She just accepts that that is who she is and it's a part of her game. She just goes, well, okay, I find it moving quite on immediately. To watch her, I find mm. I feel I find it fairly soothing to know that she's she's. It's not that she's not trying. I don't want to give that impression. She is trying her heart out, and she's frustrated in the moment when it doesn't go right and she wants to hit winners but she just puts it behind her it's almost her own version of Rafael Nadal um okay his is about always being 100% present in every single stroke she's not like that but she's able to put disappointment behind her and she can live with it she which is I think just a pretty healthy approach to life especially on the tennis tour she wins a lot Kvitova, it's a 28th title, which is I, it? I thought was really interesting when you compare that to Muguruza. So she's four years older than Muguruza, bear in mind, but Muguruza's won seven titles in her career and Kvitova's won 28 now. That That is, wow. it, it's, it's a staggering difference between two players who I think of as having quite similar careers, you know, a couple of slams, Muguruza has been number one. Kvitova has been a match away from world number one. They're both big hitters. They're both sometimes on, sometimes off. And yet Kvitova has managed to win just so much more regularly on the tour. Yeah, I was I was really impressed. Windy conditions, and yet she still managed to really control those big hits of hers. Um, she's won five in a row against Muguruza now. She seems to really like that matchup. Yeah, she seemed to know what was coming coming next. Mm. Um, in in the highlights I saw it and was moving really well and defending really well, which is not something I associate with Petra Gavitova slicing the backhand when she needed to. It was just, she just seemed completely in control. Mm. And it's obviously another good week for Muguruza. And yet I'm, I'm left with the same feeling of, well, she's got this final step that she's not making at the moment, which is winning, actually winning the title. Albeit she's losing to the person who is winning the title, Barty, in whatever pre-Australian Open tournament that was. Cop then... out, Matt. Cop out. <laughs> You've got to have a go. You've got to have a guess. Those are the rules. We won't be able to Yarra? correct you if it's wrong. Was it Yar- the Yarra Valley? Definitely could have been, Matt. Yeah, I think it was that. Um, and then she lost to Osaka, didn't she, at the Australian Open? And now she's lost to Kvitova. So... You have to be playing title-winning tennis to beat Muguruza at the moment. And yet there's just this weird thing that Muguruza herself hasn't managed to grab one of them, despite the fact she's playing so well. I think she lost a little bit of rhythm with Azarenka pulling out of the semi-final with a back injury. That that probably didn't help, but still, I, I, I did expect her to make that final more competitive. And One side of it was Kvitova playing brilliantly. Muguruza also hit a lot of unforced errors and... Didn't, didn't perform particularly well in that final. Um, but obviously she's having a great year. It's just something something to look out for, I think. Can she get over the line and, and win a title? Mm. Yeah, she's um, she's in the draw in Dubai, isn't she, uh, playing this week? Um, I mean, everyone's just playing every week. So uh, I've got Dubai uh, on in front of me, by the way. I love recording the podcast with, with tennis on. I'm watching Caroline Garcia sort of have have a meditative moment at the change of ends. Yeah, I don't well, think it's doing her much good. I think she's being pounded by Angelique Kerber. But it, it it does remind me of a year ago when we would record these podcasts in your flat, Catherine, whilst watching the tennis, and it was mm. Dubai, wasn't it? And and, mm. uh, and we 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 found 
the last photo of ourselves together uh, this last week. Sniff, um, sniff, yeah. Yeah, it, and it, so it is more than a year. Um, yeah, but, my yeah. last tennis-watching memory with you all, or certainly with Matt, I think, David, you'd had to disappear for something important, but um, was watching Kleister's comeback in Dubai last year. Um, yeah, anyway, we'll, we'll be experiencing that again soon. It's Clara Towson time, David. Excellent. Well, she's only well, gone and won a title. I mean, what a player. If anybody forgets, I discovered her for the first time. I say discovered her. It wasn't just me who discovered her. Like She was a thing before I clapped eyes on her. Uh, at the French Open in October, when she played my pick for the title in the first round, Jennifer Brady, and I think she beat her 9-7 or 10-8 in the third set. Um, and Brady wasn't playing badly, but this young woman who was only 17 at that time from Denmark was quite honestly knocking Brady off the court in terms of the trade between them. No matter how hard Brady hit the ball, it was coming back most of the time even harder. Uh, she has the purest strike off both forehand and backhand that you could imagine. When she connects, the way it goes through the air and the way it goes through the court, and it's not with loads and loads of topspin like Brady's forehand, it's just brute power. Um, and she's doing it with timing. It's it's an astonishing sight. And in Lyon, uh, one of those indoor courts, very different look to the indoor court than the one we had in Rotterdam, which was all sort of dark greys and greens and really attractive, very easy to see the ball. This one was a, a fluorescent pink surround to the court, and I kept losing the ball in it. Uh, so goodness knows how the players can cope. But anyway, um, Towson had to come through qualifying, she did that without dropping the set. She played Ekaterina Alexandrova, who had apparently won more indoor matches than anybody in the last three years, um, beats her in straight sets, and she was the top seed. And then she won the tournament without dropping a set, the whole thing. I think she won 12 or 14, I think 14 sets in a row to win the tournament and uh, beats Victoria Golubic in the, in the final. Uh, and... Just clocking her off the court, she beat a six four six one. There were five match points at the end where she had a little bit of a wobble, and Golubic was playing really well. And she's a canny player, single handed backhand with little slices and dinks and drives. None of it didn't did anything to Towson, um, who just in terms of raw potential is is another one that you can add to the group. I think we'll see we'll see how it goes. Uh, there was a, a a tweet I think from Nick Simpson. Uh, to our at tennis podcast account just saying i hope she can improve her movement a bit and not yastremska her way through the next few years Ooh. and uh, and i mean bear in mind when you watch yastremska just strike a tennis ball it is a similarly breathtaking sight and yet she's stalled and i mean look she's also handled herself in a way off court that, that I would advise against, um, and there's no suggestions that Towson will be like that. I, I I read an interview with Towson on the WTA website in which she was saying, "I don't really like team sports. I like I like this. I like to be in total control of what where the ball's going to go and being the one who has to decide all those sort of things." And she sounds super dedicated. She has, I would say, the potential to go right to the top. Um, I just, I tuned in to watch all of her matches. She's that kind of player. You know, uh, there were other matches on. I wanted to see hers. You mentioned that power she has, David. That's obviously the thing that stands out the most when you watch her play. What do you make of the other parts of her game so that she's not going to become just a sort of one-dimensional Yastremska? Um, because I was reading an interview that Chris Otto had done with... Towson and also Towson's coach, Olivier Jeunom, great name. Young man. Yeah, and he also worked with Yastremska and he's now working with Towson and he also worked with Justine Ennan and Towson has come through the Ennan Academy and he was saying that he is really impressed, obviously by the power, but also he sees a player with variety who can mm. use different shots and he, he well, was talking about how the pandemic, they had a lot of time to work on Towson's game like the coaching blocks and he thinks that those other parts of her game are really starting to flourish now and, and she can deploy some variety and she likes coming forward to the net 
Well, the, uh, she she actually talks about liking to come forwards, mm. which is in that interview I read, which I think in itself, like we're talking about with Rublev, that's half the battle. That's part of the the thing. Are you are you going in there out of duress, or are you going in there because you want to be there? And she she's up for it. Um, the other thing is when Golubich was trying to mess her around with angles and doing some of it successfully. A lot of it was coming back. A lot of it, Towson could get herself back in rallies and then impose herself. So I do think that there's more to her. I think we've got a heck of a prospect on our hands. David's all in on Clara Towson. Oh, yeah. I love it. I love it. I agree. I um, I seek out her matches. I don't think, I mean, she hasn't even made it into the main draw in Dubai. She's not ranked high enough and obviously hasn't been able to play qualifying because she was busy winning a title I think she's just inside the world's top 100 so there's so much potential there I mean obviously she's going to struggle to climb up the rankings because it's just almost impossible to do that just at the moment with the rankings as they are but if you get the chance to watch her do I would say um, that's it for results this week um, I'm watching Caroline Garcia mount a, a comeback putting my comments from this podcast about her performance against Angelique Kerber already out of date. Um, So I'm going to watch the deciding set of that one. After, though, I have told you about our mascot for this week. He's called Darwin Tick. Uh, He's a Wheaton Terrier, soft-coated Wheaton Terrier. And my goodness me, does that coat look soft. (laughs) He is, uh, you'll see the photo on our on our social media and in our newsletter. He is gorgeous. He's an actual teddy bear. Um, he is described uh, by his owner, Carrie, as an excellent companion and a world-class napper. So we've got a lot of love for Darwin and there'll be more information about him in our newsletter. So hello, Darwin. Hello also to... Uh, to Zeus from me and to Billie Jean King from Billie Jean, who's now asleep at my feet, but it hasn't hasn't all been quite so plain sailing throughout the uh, recording of this podcast, but I hope that that hasn't been evident. Uh, David, who would you like to say hello to? Right, Rogue. Uh, I'll do better than Nonchibur this week. I might pick her again. Maybe she'll have a better week. <laughs> <laughs> and Matt? Yeah, Scousel Mousel. Uh, I, I just had a terrible week. <laughs> I, for some you reason, get, went with went, Maria Sakkari to win. You went a bit rogue. Mm. Mm. No, I, no I pun went. intended. <laughs> um, Chris Albert Lee is our top bloke, executive producer, and our shout-outs, Matt, this week are four. Pamela Hood. Oh, hello, Pamela Hood. Right, we know Pamela. Pamela, don't we? I know do that we? name. Well, I do now, and I'm delighted she's back in us. <laughs> Thanks, Pamela. There's a lot of Pamela's. I like to think of Pam from the US office. Oh, yeah. Mm. US office or British office? Which one was better? US office. Not uh, t- taking away the series after um, Steve Carell left. Mm. I also wasn't a series four fan, but the series two and three. Interesting. Well, them. that was hit, very much hit by the writer's strike, wasn't it? Yeah. Sorry about that, Pamela Hood. Uh, thanks very much for your support. <laughs> Uh, Tracy Deek. Hi, Tracy. Hello. How are we spelling Deek, Matt? Uh, D E A K. D E A K. Like Beak, but with a D. Yeah. Tracy, thanks a lot. Hello, Tracy. Thank you for your support. And last but not least, Catherine Higgins. Oh, hello. C or K? Are we we talking C or K? Yeah. A, a, A K and also an A in the middle. Ooh. Oh, so a very right. different okay. spelling. That's very classic. Mm. Uh, Catherine very classic. gets her name spelled and, well, just said completely wrong on a, on a frequent basis. Yeah, I really feel for Catherine because she must be constantly having to spell her first name. But anyway, um, we're delighted yeah. to have you, Catherine, uh, not you, we are. Catherine, the other one, Catherine, on our side. <laughs> Big time Catherine podcast. solidarity with you. Yeah, thank um, you. K, regardless of the K. Um, right then, that's our tennis podcast or our first tennis podcast for this week. We'll be back on Thursday with another, at which point we'll be able to tell you how Roger Federer got on in his first match back. 
We'll have a tiny bit of data on the Roger Federer comeback and we'll be analysing it to the nth degree. <laughs> David, go and enjoy not having to do homeschooling. Matt, go and try and find some product for your ever-lengthening hair. <laughs> I'm not telling him he needs product. This has been discussed prior to the podcast, the potential need for product. Um, and I am going to go and see what destruction Billy Jean has caused. We'll be back on Thursday. We'll speak to you then. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.